Zechariah chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. Uh, We'll read these two verses out loud together. Ready? Begin. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the word of God. Thank you for those wonderful words of life. Help us, Lord, as we uh, open up our Bibles today, as preacher comes up to preach. Help us, Lord, not to uh, be distracted about the things of the world, but help us, Lord, during this time that our minds would be focused, our hearts would be open, uh, that you'd be able to write upon the tables of our hearts the words of life. And we ask these things that you would bless in a special way, be with the children as they sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. But I want you to... Uh, listen to me today. Uh, I have a sermon that I, honestly, uh, I, I'm i going to preach a bit of my heart, but I believe in a different way that will help you. I've been saved for 52 years. I've been a member of a independent, gospel-preaching, fundamental, King James Bible-only Baptist church since I got saved. Uh, I realize I live life a little differently. I live, and please don't, I'm not lifting me up. I need to make this statement for you to understand the sermon. I probably live with more hope than the average person. I live very hopefully. I see the good in what could be. And we Christians who live by God's word and have our whole life have a different worldview. When you sing this song, if you got saved later in life, you're happy for it. When folks like me who grew up in church sing it, it means something a little different. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Can I tell you why? Because I've lived my whole life looking at eternity. I have lived my whole life thinking about eternity. I really have. It's like breathing to me. Uh, I have hope for people's lives. I do. Uh, Brother Ricky, your family's been going through some hard days, but I got hope for them. I know you got some heartache in your family that's not even associated with death, but I got hope for them. There are people here, I have hope for you. I remember... Brother James down here, he's smiling and amen in me. I remember when Miss Lily was close to going home to heaven, and I said, Brother, Brother James, we got some hope here. And then that New Year's Day morning, he called me. And I tried to pump a little hope into you. You see, I have hope for people's lives. You may think differently than I, but I still have hope for America. Amen. Daniel, hope of America sitting right there. Militarily speaking, 
I got a boy that in just six or eight weeks, they're going to fly him over to Jordan and going to land him in a hot zone in Jordan, and he's going to be there for six months. I got hope for America. But I have hope for America spiritually. I'll be hanged that <laughs> I'm not going to go through this life well, America's going to die and go to hell. Why, why do anything about it? Well, I'm going to get everybody I can saved. I still believe we could have revival in America. I still believe there are people that need to get saved. I still believe there are saved people who need to get right with God who could help us see more people get saved. I believe there's hurting people that need help. I have hope for America. I was back in Georgia for Christmas with my daughter and son-in-law. My grandson will be one year old next Monday. I was holding my, my grandson. Brother Cross, I looked at him deep. I said, buddy... Your papa's not going to be around a whole lot. I live too far away. But your papa's going to give his whole life and has given his life to give you a country to grow up in that's free spiritually. I may not give you a whole lot, but I'm going to turn over a King James Bible for you in a church that preaches the right way as a heritage. I'm going to miss a lot of your growing up. I'll miss his birthdays. I'll miss his ball games. I'll miss big days, probably. <laughs> but I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. For those of you that have special needs, children and family members. Joe and Ashley are out of town today. I have Gus's name written down. Those of you that know Gus, Joe and Ashley were told when he was just a little, little one, he'd never walk, never talk. They could, tried to convince him to have an abortion before he was born. And they said, no. Well, he'll never do anything. You might as well just put him in an institution and let him rot away. They met up with old-fashioned independent Baptist preacher one day. And I said, don't you listen to those idiots. I said, he might be a bit hard to handle at first, but let's get God in on this and see what God can do. Oh, by the way, Gus is going to our school. He's learning to read. He quotes scripture. He has more biblical sense than most theologians have. Now, you never doubt what he's thinking. I'll sit in my office and I can hear him come up to the bathroom and he's, No, Gus. No, Gus. I don't want to. No, Gus. Okay. <laughs> or try again Gus no try again Gus no try again Gus no okay 
you never doubt what he's thinking. I remember the day, and Gus, he was very, he is very autistic. He doesn't like to be touched. I'll never forget the day over in Aiken Center. I'd worked and worked and worked for years with him. He came up the steps and came up the steps reaching out to shake my hand. Ashley just about fell on her knees on the steps. She said, Preacher, other than you and, or other than Joe and I, you're the first person he's ever done that to. I said, Gus knows I love him. I said, One day he's going to be a church greeter. And the day's coming, he's going to be standing at that door with me, passing out flyers and shaking hands. You hang on. Say why? Because I have hope. I have hope. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about hope. The word looks at me like I'm some kind of alien because they have no hope. The world looks at me and they can't quite figure me out. And I'm glad. You see, all they have... And all they can ever have is what they see here on earth. And may I say something? It's good for now. But this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Guess what? What we have where we're going is a whole lot better than what we got here. Brother Ricky, I said this to you. I said this to you, Deb, when your mama was going to heaven. Don't feel sorry for them. Feel sorry for us. We're the stinkers that got to stay back here. They're doing fine. My mama's running up and down streets of gold taking care of five grandbabies of mine that I have never yet seen. Guess what? They're doing fine. Our tears aren't for them. Our tears are for us. I want you to see something. <laughs> I want you to look at Zechariah chapter 9. You're going to see something that you wouldn't put together. Look at verse number 12. Turn you to the stronghold. That's kind of like a prison cell. Ye prisoners of hope. Look at me. God said we're supposed to be prisoners of hope you look at that as a negative thing you're looking at a man that's lived as a prisoner of hope for 56 and a half years and I'm having a time of my life I really am you see this world only has this world but when you're a prisoner of hope you have eternity awaiting you I have everything that is God's awaiting me. I want to help you today. Being a prisoner of hope. Can I tell you something? Being a prisoner of hope is better than being a prisoner of despair. Being a prisoner of hope is better than being a prisoner of the devil. Being a prisoner of hope is better than being a prisoner of sin. And God uses this word prisoner. 
It literally means bound. It means uh, held captive. I am not bringing handcuffs up here because I don't trust you all to get me out. (laughs) But God literally means he wants us handcuffed and jailed and shackled to hope. By the way, (laughs) it's a life sentence. It's a life sentence. One that I'll wear proudly, just so you know. He doesn't want us paroled. He wants us to be a prisoner of hope. I believe, and I don't mean this arrogantly, I believe that I'm a prisoner of hope. I believe that my precious wife of almost 35 years is a prisoner of hope. If you've ever met my wife or talked to her, she's a hopeful person. Brother Anthony, stand up. I won't make your wife stand up because you'll embarrass her. But I believe Brother Anthony and Miss Katora are prisoners of hope. Can I tell you why? Thank you. You can sit down. Stay out of my sermon. Can I tell you why? We all got saved early in life. We've all grown up this way. Hey, tell you something. This is all we know. Those boys and girls lined up. I saw myself 50 years ago. You saw yourself back in Texas and in Pennsylvania. Can I tell you why? This is how we grew up. Some of you to get up here and sing, Jonah, Jonah, you'd be scared to death. Man, they didn't look afraid of anything. Can I tell you why? They have hope. They have hope. You see, uh, we see the good. We see the potential. We see the miracles that could be of everything God can do. You don't know this. A few of you do. You work with me. But every Sunday, every Wednesday, I'm here early at the church. And I say, God, would you do another miracle? This is a miracle church. We see more miracles happen than probably 500 churches. say why is that (laughs) because you've got a preacher that's got some hope Uh, we know we're all sinners and we know that sin steals hope but we have been bound and imprisoned to hope so that we can help give you hope we're seeking to help every sinner in bondage to sin So that you can become a prisoner of hope. We really are. May I say something? God wants you to be a prisoner of hope. Doesn't matter if you just got saved this week. Or if you've been saved since Noah got off the ark. God wants you to be a prisoner of hope. 
He doesn't want us to be in the bondage of sin. He doesn't want us to be bound by depression. He doesn't want us bound by the things of this world. He wants us to be a prisoner of hope. Let me help you today. First of all, hope is not found in our sinful flesh. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll use the word of God today. I want you to look at verse number 19 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 19. 1 Corinthians is right before 2 Corinthians. (laughs) If you have 3 Corinthians, throw your Bible away. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 15, verse number 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. God said if we're only looking for a hope based on what's in this life, we're miserable. Can I tell you something? The world is miserable. Uh, Now, we're here. And we're sinners like everybody else, but life here is death. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to eternal life. I was about 30, 31 years old. Brother Hiles preached a sermon on heaven. And you could almost smell the air in heaven while he preached. The glisten and the glean of the things in heaven were brighter. I was with him and I said, Preacher, how is it that someone your age can preach on heaven and it seems so much more real? And a guy my age, we, I can preach on it and people say, Yeah, that's good. I think I was driving him to the O'Hare Field in Chicago and he said, You calling me old? <laughs> I said, No. He said, well, I am. He said, but I'll answer your question. He said, son, at my age, I know more people there than I know here. He said, each time somebody here goes there, part of me goes with them. He said, I got more of me there than I have here. Well, at 57 years old and preaching for 43 years, I'm starting to understand that statement. Seems like each time somebody I know goes there, a little part of me goes ahead. And I'm starting to see it a little differently. God says we pass from death to life, not from life to death. God calls this life death. God calls eternal life life. See, we measure our years as life. God measures them as death. I'm 56 and a half years old. I'm 56 and a half years closer to death. But once I get through that, then I have eternal life. And there's no counting because it goes on for infinity. And we pass from death to life. For the wages of sin is death. So the life we live here, because we're all sinners, is a life of death. But I have the hope of eternal life. And when you start living for eternal life while you're here, this life doesn't mean as much. 
That's why you can sing, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Can I tell you why? Because we're not looking at this life, we're looking at the next one. Hope is not found in this life. Hope is not found in the temporary, it's found in the eternal. Hope is not found in the things of this earth. It's found in the eternal. I had a college president that used to say, don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate. Uh, Hope isn't finding another credit card. Hope is it's paid in full in heaven already. Hope isn't a new car or a new house or new clothes or new shoes or a new gun. Maybe. No. Uh, Not a new computer or a new gadget or gadget. No. Hope is an eternal life. The things of this world, the things that you hate now, you once wanted because they were new at one time. Everybody doing all right? Can I tell you something? Hope in other sinners will disappoint you. If all of your hope is in me, you're going to be sadly disappointed because I'm a sinner just like you are. If hope is in your paycheck, you're going to be really sadly disappointed because the government's in it. I mean, uh, can I tell you something? Things on earth don't satisfy. They're dying. The world is a prisoner to things. The world is a prisoner to money. The world is a prisoner to, uh, I'll use the word situations, the next vacation, the next time of fun, the next ball game, the next this, the next that, the next circumstance. (laughs) Preacher, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay. Well, what are you doing under the circumstances? Get out from underneath them. Get on top of them and jump on it. I don't live under the circumstances. Now, I have circumstances, but I don't live under them. I'm not about to let circumstances take over me. Say why? Because I'm living for the eternal, not now. You see... (laughs) We have to understand something. Uh, To have hope, you have to look past this life. Let me read several verses to you. I'll turn to them. Uh, You need not turn there because it'll take you a while. Romans chapter 8 verse 21 says this. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Did you notice? The bondage of corruption. Sin is corruption. And we need delivered from the bondage of corruption. Galatians uh, chapter 4 verse number 3 says this. uh, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Galatians 4 9 says, But now, after yet known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? After we get saved, we're, uh, you don't get saved by turning away from what you were. 
You get saved by turning away from trusting your own righteousness to trusting the righteousness of Jesus. But God delivers you out of your old sins. Then why do we want to go back to what we came from? Bible uses the term like a dog returneth to his vomit. Watch an old dog get sick and throw up and he'll go back out after a while and eat it back up. Thank God I'm not a dog. Uh, you say, preacher, that's just nasty. Let me ask you a question. As a child of God, how have you gone back to the things that you came out of? Why do we go back to the alcohol and the drinking and the smoking and all the, the lying and the cheating and the language and all the things of this world? Why turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You know, there are people that are in bondage to rotten grapes or rotten grain called liquor. There are people that are in bondage to a three-inch long piece of paper with dead weeds wrapped in it, and they light it up and suck on it. Well, I'm not about to let something that has no brain control me. Everybody doing all right? Well, preacher, it's hard. Come out from underneath it. God will help you. I can help you. Say, how is that? Because this world is not my own. I'm just passing through. If God wanted you to smoke, he'd put a chimney on your head. If God wanted us to drink, it would have come out naturally that way. We wouldn't have to make it that way. Everybody doing all right? So, hope is not found in this life of the flesh. Well, preacher, if I could just get one more drink, one more cigarette, then I'll quit. And you haven't yet. Number three, or number two. I'm about to show. I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to show you something, living proof. I'm about to show you the scripture fulfilled. Listen to this next statement. The earlier you get saved in life, and the earlier you start living right, the easier it is to have hope. The earlier you get saved in life, and the earlier you start living right, the easier it is to have hope. Psalm 71.5 says this, For thou art my hope, O Lord God, thou art my trust from my youth. Same chapter, verse number 14. But I will hope continually... And will yet praise thee more and more. Why? Because I started doing it as a child. And in verse 17 it says, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. I got saved as a child. Brother Anthony, how old were you when you got saved? Five, six years old. Stand up here for a second. You wonder why it's easier for Brother Anthony to have hope in people than some of you that got saved as teenagers or young adults or middle-aged adults that lived in sin? Because he's been at it a lot longer. He didn't create the bad habits of mistrust. He didn't create the habits of 
experiencing the, the degradation of sin in his own life. I mean, the worst thing he did was probably punched his brother at home when mom and dad weren't around. Should have done it more, right? That's what he said. He should have done it to you more. Now, wait a minute. Can I tell you something? It's easier for those of us that got saved early in life to trust him. Say, why? Because it's all we know. Some of you grew up in sin and smoking and drinking. I mean, I, there are people in this room, when you were taking a bottle, your parents put alcohol in a bottle for you. I know, I've talked to you. So drinking was natural to you. It was hard to come out of because it was done so early in life. Some of you started smoking when you were in your teens. Your parents gave you cigarettes. I mean, Miss Kathy started dipping and chewing when she was 12. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. She just dipped. She didn't chew. Thank you. <laughs> now, wait a minute. For, for some people, they started bad habits early in life. When you start good habits that early in life, it's easier to trust God. Amen. Why do we want the junior age church kids to come up here every so often and sing? So that by the time they get to be adults, joining the choir and singing out for God is just natural for them. They're not intimidated by it. Not a one of them looked too intimidated, did they? You want to come up and practice with them? Not me, preacher. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The earlier you do it in life, the less problem you have doing it later in life. Wyatt was standing right up here. I knew what I was preaching. I remember the day he was born. Went to the hospital the next day up in Hagerstown. I always wait 24 hours because no mama wants the preacher to come hours after she just had a baby. Just not the right time. But I usually wait about 24 hours or so. Heaven and Mrs. Barnes were there. I put him in my arms and was holding him. And I prayed with him. I said, God, would you save him early in life? Every child that's born, I ask God to save them early in life. Can I tell you why? Because if they'll get saved early, there's a chance they won't do the wrong that others have done. By the way, I remember the day he got saved. Remember the day I baptized him. Prayer answered. They didn't kill him before he got saved. <laughs> you see, once you get saved, God gives you a life sentence being chained and handcuffed to hope. Did you ever watch uh, Charlie and Will and some of our kids... They have no filter when it comes to giving out the gospel tracts to people and talking about church and God. I mean, none. Can I tell you why? They're chained to hope. They're prisoners of hope. <laughs> when we were in Indiana, our church, it was either duck or pucker. And everybody knew it for about 60 miles in any direction. 
If you said you were from First Baptist Hammond, everybody knew who you were, and it was either they love you or they hate you, and they're going to shoot at you. My wife had taken the kids to a park not far from our home. And Josh and Jeff were out playing, and I think Mindy may have been born, may not have been yet. I mean, this is a long time ago. And Josh had struck up a conversation, probably with a swing. He would talk to anything. But he was talking, there was another family there, a dad that had a, a kid there. I don't remember what gender, but it was one or the other. There was no other genders at that time. And Josh just happened to say, he said, now, do you go to church? And I, oh, no. You mean you don't? And she said, well, where do you go to church? And dad overheard my son say, well, Brother Hiles is my preacher. That guy came over and he started at my son. And my son says, what's wrong with you? He said, maybe you just need to get saved. You'd feel better about it. My wife said, there was no place to hide. <laughs> Zero, none, gone, nada. That guy picked up his child and stomped out of, the, out of the park. I said, well, did you get the park to yourself? She said, yeah. And I said, that's good. No filter. Can I tell you why? They're, they're prisoners of hope. Isn't that the way it should be? <laughs> he was just about two years old. We were in South Carolina. He eh, maybe a little older. He was probably four or five. He was getting his haircut at the barber shop. And the barber was smoking. And Josh was. And he said, what's the matter with you? He said, smoking's bad. He said, yeah, I probably shouldn't do it. He said, smoking will take you to hell. And the guy almost swallowed a cigarette. <laughs> Ho, 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 ho. He said, you better talk to your daddy about that one. I said, well, he got a point there. I said, we're all sinners. He said, yeah, but I got saved. I said, all right. Uh, he didn't like it when I bring him to get a haircut, amen? Uh, he felt convicted. He said, what is that? Chained to hope. Chained to hope. Uh, <laughs> the sooner you learn to begin to live with hope, the easier it is to do with the rest of your life. Those of you that didn't get saved till later have years of hopelessness to overcome. You really do. And it takes a while. You don't see the positive like we would. You're the first person to point out what could go wrong. Sorry, that's a foreign language to me. I'm looking for what could go right. You want to point out the wrong, I'm looking to point out the right. I'm chained to hope, you're chained to hopelessness. <laughs> Let me say it this way. The longer you wait to get saved and the longer you wait to live with hope, the more bad character traits and the more uh, bad habits of hopelessness you have. The earlier you get saved in life, the earlier you start living with hope, the more you have seen God work and the more you trust God's going to keep working. Amen. Brother Ricky, I know it's a little different, but when we met about the funeral, I had hope. A couple of your granddaughters didn't have hope the other day. And we met with them and they, they didn't want to trust me, but... They did just enough. 
got done preaching, gave the invitation, and both of them raised their hand trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Before they left town, I reached out to shake their hand and thanked them, and they said, no, thank you. You told us it would go this way, but we didn't believe it. I think it was the oldest one. She said, would it be wrong for me to hug you? I said, nope, I'm older than your daddy and almost old enough to be your grandpa. She hugged me. Ah, thank God. She got some hope. She was hopeless before. Mistrusting? Yeah, it's been hurt. But guess what? God got her. Can I tell you why? Because I didn't walk in thinking, I wonder what could go wrong. Even though I got the wrong name. <laughs> didn't find that out until later. Can I tell you something? We saw the hope in it. Number three, and I'll finish quickly. I mean that. I want to live giving you hope. When you feel like all hope is gone. I long to live to give you hope when you feel like there is no hope. I want to give you hope as we sit beside the bedside of your loved one as they're taking their last breaths on this side of heaven. Amen, Brother Scott? I want to give you hope when your teenage child breaks your heart. Half near and two. And let you know there's hope. I want to give you hope when someone you love or someone you have looked up to disappoints you. Can I tell you something? Been there. I want to give you hope. When they tell you it's cancer. I want to give you hope when they tell you there's not much we can do and it's going to be a long road. I want to give you hope when it's your loved one and it's dementia or Alzheimer's and it's going to be a long, hard road. But I want to be able to give you hope. I want to give you hope. When it's your baby or your grandbaby that goes to heaven early. I'll be honest with you. I know people don't think I love as deeply as I do. But I understand that pain and that hurt. I've had to look at a daughter-in-law three different times and say, honey, I can't answer why. But I can tell you where. I've had to look in the eyes of my daughter when she lost twins. I've been there. I've had to catch the tears of Josh and Ruthann a little over a year ago when the state took away the ones they were fostering and planning to adopt. After 16 months with one. 
and put my arms around both of them and say there's hope. I don't understand it, but I can tell you this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Oh, by the way, two of those three were old enough to get saved. The other five, they're in heaven too. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's our hope. I want to give you hope, those of you who are just about to become or just have become an empty nester. Bless God, you got more hope than anybody. I want to give you hope as the finances ebb and go the wrong way. And the pressure builds and tell you it's going to be okay. I want to give you hope when it seems like the sun's not going to shine again in your life. I want to give you hope to those who are estranged in a relationship, thinking there's no hope for it. There is hope as long as there is breath. I want to give hope to those of you that are angry and bitter and hurt by life and tell you there's hope. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Can I tell you something? We're to be a prisoner of hope. I am a prisoner of hope. I'm in bondage to hope to help free you from God. But can I tell you, my friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in bondage to the devil. And there is no more hope in this entire universe than knowing for sure you're going to heaven when you die. I long to tell every lost person the gospel so they don't have to be in bondage to sin. That they can trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and then they can sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, get saved today and become a prisoner of hope, not a prisoner of the devil. Say, well, I'll still be a prisoner. Yeah, but being a prisoner for Jesus is a whole lot better than being a prisoner for old smutty face. I'd rather be a prisoner of hope than a prisoner of despair. I'd rather be handcuffed to hope than a leader of depression. How about we obey God and become prisoners of hope? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Say, preacher, I'm not going to call any names. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, I promise. But who'd say, preacher, if I died today, I know 100% sure I'm going to heaven. I've trusted Jesus Christ and that alone to take me to heaven. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. You can put your hands down. Is there one that would say, preacher, if I died today, I don't know it. I won't embarrass you just like I did not embarrass them. I'm not talking about some religious experience. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm talking about you just don't know for sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven, but you'd like to know that. It only takes about two or three minutes. You say, preacher, that's me. I don't know, but I'd like to know that someday. Would you raise your hand? All right. 
Who'd say, preacher, somewhere in that sermon, something I needed today. Do you raise your hand? Oh, my soul, scores and scores of hands. You may put them down. If you've never been saved, you come, we'll have, if you're a man, we'll have a man. Take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure. If you're a lady, we'll have the ladies. Take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure. If you've been saved and never baptized, you come as soon as the music starts. We'll take care of that today. If you'd like to join an old-fashioned, independent, fundamental, King James-only, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, hell-raising church, you come today. We'd love to have you added to the church membership. Maybe you just need to come to an old-fashioned altar and chain yourself and handcuff yourself to hope today.